0: A couple decades ago, a spiritual came out and was called Bound for Jubilee. The lyrics of this song joyfully look forward to the destination of Jubilee with the singer pleading with brothers and sisters to come with before the devil might come and take you away, before you get to Jubilee. Growing up, if I'd have heard that song, I'd have wondered, why are people singing about going to the grocery store? Because Jubilee was the name of the local grocery store. I didn't know what Jubilee was. Now, I got excited about it because they had this special program where if a kid came, they could get a free treat, and it changed every time you went. It was great, but not quite worthy of a song being written after it. So what jubilee were they singing about? If you look it up in a dictionary, you'll find that a jubilee is a special celebration. You wouldn't necessarily call a regular old birthday party a jubilee, but you might call a 50th anniversary a jubilee. And there's actually some biblical support for calling a 50th year of something a jubilee. The Lord told Moses on Mount Sinai that when they're all done wandering in the wilderness, that they finally get to the promised land, that every 50th year would be a year full of celebration. It would be a special year. The Lord established that year to be the year of jubilee as a way to continually call people back to himself. If you're following along in our Bible readings, you read about it this week, and you might have already forgotten about it, because I think it was maybe Monday or Tuesday that it was supposed to be read. The topic of the year of Jubilee made headlines again a few years ago. A book came out that sought to go through history and apply the principles of what we read in this chapter to America's future. It looked at different financial cycles, looking at the Great Depression, looking at 9-11, and found a way to tie a number of events in history to tie back to the seventh year Sabbath cycle. And a few years later, another book came out that was released to explain the mysteries of the Jubilee and what that means for us in our future. As interesting as those books can be, it's better to go back to the text and find out what does God's word say about the Jubilee, what's actually being said. And let Scripture interpret Scripture for us rather than trying to interpret Scripture through the lens of current events. Jubilee was never meant to be a mystery for us. It's been written down for our instruction. So let's look at what it says. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Leviticus chapter 25. We'll be reading verses 1 through 12 as we look at what the year of Jubilee was and what this year of Jubilee pointed to. Leviticus chapter 5, this whole chapter talks about this year of Jubilee, but for the sake of time, we'll just be reading verses 1 through 12. I invite you to stand again out of respect for God's word if you're able. Leviticus 25, beginning at verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, "'and six years you shall prune your vineyard "'and gather in its crop. "'But during the seventh year, "'the land shall have a Sabbath rest, "'a Sabbath to the Lord. "'You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyard. "'Your harvest aftergrowth you shall not reap, "'and your grapes of untrimmed vines you shall not gather. "'The land shall have a sabbatical year. "'All of you shall have the Sabbath products "'of the land for food yourself, "'and your male and female servants, "'and your hired man and your foreign resident.' those who live as aliens with you. Even your cattle and the animals that are in your land shall have all its crops to eat. You are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of seven Sabbaths of years, namely 49 years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad, and on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn all through your land. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you, and each of you shall return to his own property, and each of you shall return to his own family. You shall have the 50th year as a jubilee. You shall not sow, nor reap its aftergrowth, nor gather in from its untrimmed vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat its crops out of the field. Father God, these are your words, and your word is true. Lord, as you recognize that your word is written to show us you and that your word was written for our instruction, we pray, Father, that it would do that here for us today. Draw our attention to you this, word, this morning, Lord, through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The text here starts out with the Lord giving a message to Moses. And Moses was to give this message to all the sons of Israel. And when is the time that Moses gives this lesson, this message? And verse 2 says, When you come into the land which I shall give you. The sons of Israel are still wandering in the wilderness at this time that God speaks to Moses. They're not in the promised land yet, but they're about to head there. God is giving them instructions for them to keep when they enter the land. The first instructions are pretty easy for us. Work the land for six years, and then it gets hard. Then that seventh year... Don't plant anything. So farmers, be taking note here. Don't plant anything in that seventh year. Trust me on this one. Why are you laughing at me? But in the seventh year, they weren't supposed to plant anything. They weren't supposed to tend to their fields at all. What would happen if you were to leave your field fallow for a year? You didn't spray any herbicide or fungicide or any of that stuff on there. You just let it be for a year. It'd be a mess, but this is the instruction that the Lord gives his people here in the Leviticus. The reason being was that their land was supposed to have a Sabbath rest. No one was to plant or work the fields in the seventh year. It wasn't a time to get ready for the next season or the next six years. It was a time of rest and a time to turn your eyes to the provision of God. In verse 6, the Lord promises to sustain his people. He says this, all of you shall have the Sabbath products of the land for food and for yourself and your male and female slaves, and your hired man, and your foreign resident, those who live as aliens with you. No one was to tend to the fields. No one was to work in the fields. The land would have rest. And somehow, strangely, and only because of the provision of God, the land would provide enough food to sustain everyone for that whole year until the next harvest, and even all the animals as well. Every seventh year was something the sons of Israel had to look forward to. And every seventh year, the sons of Israel, as they did this, they would rest in the provision of God. In verse 8, the Lord resets this liturgical clock, this church calendar, if you will, every 50 years. And after every seventh Sabbath year, so year 49, then the ram's horn will be blown on the Day of Atonement. And that horn would signal something special. It would signal the ushering in of this new year. And this would be the year of Jubilee. The Jubilee year was special. It was set apart. It was holy. It was similar to the Sabbath year. No one was to plant or harvest the fields on that year. The crops were again to remain in the fields so anyone who had need could gather what they needed from the fields. It's an original farm-to-table setup, which is getting to be popular these days. But the year of jubilee had more to it, though. If you look at verse 10 in the text, you see this. You shall thus consecrate the 50th year and proclaim a release through the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return to his own property. And each of you shall return to his own family. All the slaves in the land were to be set free on that year. All the land that had been sold from your family would be yours again. How neat is that? And each family would go back to the land that the Lord had provided for them when they first came into the land. The rules for the year of Jubilee also deterred people away from pursuing worldly riches. It'd be pretty tempting, wouldn't it, to see a a bountiful harvest on year six and think, oh boy, what can I get next year? Imagine if I just planted a little bit for myself. But it brought people back to humble submission to the Lord and to concern for their neighbors. It also dealt with some of the fears of not being able to provide for you or your family. If you had to sell yourself to make ends meet, you would eventually be given your freedom again. And In the meantime, you would be treated with dignity and respect. And anyone who found themselves destitute and needy were to be taken care of and not taken advantage of. There were no predatory loans. There was no lending at high costs or high interest rates. They were taken care of. God shares why in verse 38. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. The land wasn't theirs to buy and sell to anybody else. It is God's land and God was the one who gave it to them. These people had already been redeemed. They had been bought back, set free from Egypt. They were God's people. They were his servants and they belonged to him. When they entered the promised land, their lives would be centered around the year of Jubilee. And any land that was sold was only leased temporarily until the year of Jubilee. And the price of that land, whenever you sold it, would be determined by, well, how long is it until the next Jubilee year? And that would be the determining factor. Not what the land prices are going for these days, or not how much you can make off some poor sucker who's going to buy your land. It's, everything was tied to this year of Jubilee. Again, the land belonged to God. The sons of Israel were only tenants. Verse 17 explains a whole motivation behind keeping the year of Jubilee. The fear of the Lord. You shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. And the chapter ends with the assertion again that the Lord is the Lord your God. The whole foundation for this year was built on the fear of the Lord and what he has done for his people. He was the one that redeemed them. He is the one who provides for them and he would provide for them. They were his servants. And the Lord wanted them to remember who he is and what he has done. Without the fear of the Lord, the people would abuse this system. And they would rack up their debts because someone else would eventually pay them off. Wouldn't that be a nice thing to do? If you knew that every seven years, whatever debt you had to your name would be gone away with. You can look back to history when the end of the world was coming and all the number of people who just rang up their credit card debt because the world was going to end. Someone else had to pay for it. So eat, drink, and be merry. But the fear of the Lord enters into the equation. We realize we're not living for ourselves, but we're living for the Lord, and the Lord has commanded us and prescribed for us a certain way we are to live our lives. The fear of the Lord was necessary, and the people were dependent on the Lord. The year of Jubilee was given to God's people to point them to himself, but was also given to point them ahead to a greater Jubilee. God hasn't changed. He does not change. He is still the one who provides us for our daily bread, and he is still the one who has redeemed us. The setting up of these laws some 3,500 years ago weren't so that we could nowadays figure out what lies ahead for us in the future. for the future of our country, but it's to point us to God. It's again so that we would continue to fear and love God and see how God has provided for us. Scripture speaks of all of the Old Testament rules and regulations and ceremonies being fulfilled in Jesus Christ in Colossians. And so this year of Jubilee is also one of those things, fulfilled in Christ Christ. So farmers, go ahead and plant your fields on the seventh year and don't have a burdened conscience about it. It's been fulfilled in Christ. Some 700 years after Moses explained this to all of his people, and while the sons of Israel were dwelling in that promised land, another prophet came along and the Lord spoke through this prophet. The prophet Isaiah speaks these words in chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Plenty of people have read those words since Isaiah wrote them down. But there was one person who, after reading these very words, added his own words to this text. And he said this, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In Luke chapter 4, as Jesus is beginning his public ministry, Jesus enters the synagogue, the one that he grew up in, the one that he was trained in, and he stands up to read. He takes a scroll, he knows what scroll he's going for, he picks up the scroll, he opens it up, and he finds a certain passage, and he begins to read these words in Isaiah, Isaiah 61. He reads the passage, he closes the scroll, he sits down, and then he tells everyone there that was listening, today, this passage has been fulfilled in your hearing. This passage was written to be about me and watch and see how I fulfill this text. Jesus informs a crowd that it's ultimately about him, that he is a fulfillment. He is the one who was sent. He was sent to bring good news to the afflicted. He was the one who was sent to bind up the brokenhearted, sent to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, And in doing all of these things, he would be proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God. The fulfillment of the year of Jubilee would be found here in Christ. It wasn't ultimately about redistributing the wealth or about keeping the land tied to your family, but it was given to remember the redemption and the provision of the Lord. Throughout Leviticus 25 and 26, God says, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt. It was tied to this idea of redemption and tied to God's provision. But it was also looking forward to the time where God would again redeem his people. And this redemption that it pointed forward to wouldn't take place every 50 years, but would take place once and last for all time. It would be once and for all in Christ Jesus. And just as the sons of Israel remembered their redemption, when the Lord brought them out of their slavery in Egypt... And they would look forward again to the time when all of their debts would be paid. And when they could have a year of celebrating, or two years, the Sabbath year, year 49, and then also the year of Jubilee. And when they would be set free, and they would hear that beautiful, liberating sound of the ram's horn blowing. The blast declaring that this is it. This is the year that you've been waiting for. This is the year of redemption. This is the year of rest. This is the year of the Lord's provision as the planting season came, the eyes of all were directed again to the Lord. As they refused to plant their fields, the Lord would sustain them. And so they didn't plant. And their eyes were directed to the Lord's provision, even the harvest before when they reaped this bountiful harvest that would last them for year 49, year 50, and all the way through the harvest of year 51. They would have the land's Sabbath rest in the year of Jubilee. And they would rest. And just like they would rest in the provision of God, we too get to rest in the salvation won for us by Christ. In the provision that God has provided for us, we get to rejoice in his provision, not only of a Savior who has brought us redemption and release for all of our sins, but one who provides for our daily needs too. Throughout Jesus' life, he proclaimed good news to the broken. He healed the lame and the blind. He caused them to walk and to see again. He healed those who were ill, and he told them this message. You are forgiven. Whether they felt forgiven or not, Jesus told them this message. You are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven from the very lips of Christ himself. The Lord's favor was on these people. And that's not all that Isaiah says, though. He also mentions at the end of verse 2 in chapter 61, He mentions the year of vengeance of our God. Leviticus 26 is a continuation of the same message of chapter 25 that God is giving to Moses. And in this chapter, we hear the Lord warning them of the curses that will come if they refuse to obey. If they instead get greedy or they turn to other idols or they worship other gods, they turn their backs on God's instruction. The Lord says this in chapter 26, verses 16 through 18. I will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly, for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies, and those who hate you will rule over you, and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins." The year of the Lord's favor wasn't to be separated from the vengeance of our God. But the year of favor comes because God's vengeance has been satisfied. That vengeance was paid for. Our debts weren't just swept under the rug. They weren't just dismissed. God didn't just turn his eyes away from them. No, he has redeemed us. And that means that a price was paid. A transaction was accomplished. We've been purchased, not just invited. Our freedom has been purchased. And the scripture says, not with perishable things like silver or gold, things that can change with the rate of inflation, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. We've been rescued from our slavery to sin and to and death and death. And instead, we've been given new life and forgiveness of sins. The year of Jubilee began with the proclamation or the announcement of the ram's horn being blown. The blowing of that ram's horn was what signified the start of this joyous year. It was blown when the Passover lamb was slain. And if you look at the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you look at the crucifixion account, you'll notice that there is a little detail that is given there that doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. No, you don't read uh, the ram's horn was blown, but you do read this. And on the ninth hour... And on the ninth hour, the ninth hour was the time when that ram's horn would be blown. When the sacrificial lamb was slain at that exact moment in the temple. And then the ram's horn was blown proclaiming forgiveness of sins. And at that time on the ninth hour is when Jesus breathed his last. The ram's horn was blown again. Proclaiming for you, proclaiming for me, proclaiming for all people. The year of jubilee, your debts have been paid. The year of vengeance has come, and Christ himself has paid for it. The Lord has provided yet again. God's wrath was satisfied. Our debts were paid, and we were redeemed. The greatest thing about this redemption is that unlike the year of jubilee that was to be repeated every 50 years as long as the Israelites were in the land, you don't have to wait 50 years for it to come. You don't have to wait 50 years to be released of your burdens, to be released of your bondage. But these benefits are available to you now. Christ won them for you in his death and resurrection. And he delivers them to you through his word and through his sacraments. He has taken on himself the wrath of God for your sins and for mine. So the Father no longer deals with us according to our sins, but instead on the basis of Christ and in his grace and in his mercy He deals with us through Christ, continually calling us through his word to himself, calling us to trust in him, calling us to believe in him, that our lifetimes would be an era filled with the joy of jubilee, where we live in the forgiveness of sins, where we live in the constant presence of God and in the continuous nourishment of Jesus through his word, where again we daily receive the Lord's provision In a year, a life where we fear and love Him above all things. And we get to be His people, no longer slaves and no longer aliens, but His children. The year of Jubilee wasn't meant to be an obscure mystery for us to determine the future. But the year of Jubilee is yet another beautiful way that the Lord prepared His people in the Old Testament for His coming, for Christ's coming. The words of the song that I mentioned earlier, the first verse says, Oh, my brother, won't you come with me? Oh, my sister, you must come today. And the second verse says this, My Lord's calling, I must go with him. Can not you hear him calling you today? My Lord is calling, I must go with him, or the devil might come and take me away for I get to Jubilee. The year of the Lord's favor is here. And it doesn't end at the end of year 365. The year of the Lord's favor ends for the world when Christ comes again. And there is no more second chance. There is no more redemption to be delivered. But Christ comes finally to take his believers home. And so we look forward to that time. The time is ticking, but the year of Jubilee is here. The year where God proclaims his favor to you in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you for your word and for its truth. Jesus, we thank you for coming, for being the one who the Lord would provide. Our sacrifice, our sacrificial lamb, our Passover lamb. Lord, that you are the one who has atoned for our sins. You're the one who has bought us life and freedom. You are the one who has redeemed us by your precious blood. Father, we pray that you would help us to remember this each and every day, that we would live in this freedom. Father, that we would share this message of redemption with those around us as well. And we do pray, Lord, that for all of those who are still in bondage and captivity, who are chained and captive to the devil and the powers of this world, that they, Lord, would know your word, that they would know what you have done, that they would hear that this year of jubilee has come for them, that you have paid their debts and you offer to them salvation. Father, we pray that you would continue to have this message on our hearts, and in our lips, and in our minds today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.